0: All right, if nobody else wants to say anything, we're going to read from Psalm 145 today. Psalm 145 is a psalm of praise of David. And David says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. So that, people, so that all people may know your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout, through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord, that every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. So David knew all about the Lord. He's telling us all about the Lord. Just uh, how the Lord... Not only does he expect us to praise him, yet he deserves all of our praise. So that's what we come here to do. We're going to sing some songs of praise, but first let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
1: to remain. It's time
2: this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the many blessings we have. And thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for all of us. Amen.
3: Good morning. Now is the time in the service for announcements. Um, in the foyer, there is um, there are plastic bins where you can empty your pill bottle donations for Matthew Twenty Five Ministries. Also for used ink cartridges, um, they helped reduce costs of office supplies here at the church. Food pantry closed closet is every Thursday, five to seven. Here's a list there of most frequently needed items if you'd like to donate. Um, any donations can come on Thursday 5 to 7 as well. Moving on, refit, free dance fitness class, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6.30 to 7.30 here in the sanctuary. So we move the chairs and we get our bodies moving too. It is for men and women alike. Mellon Ridge Nursing Home Church Ministry is the fourth Sunday of the month. Um, So the next one is August 27th at 2 p.m. If you have questions because you've never done it before um, or you just want to come and see what we do, um, you can sign up in the, sign-ups on the welcome table, please. HCC Weekly Communion Cookout. Um, yesterday would have been our first day starting in August. We anticipated some rain. It started off, and so anyway, we ended up having to cancel, but um, we look forward to next Saturday. We're serving now at Fay Gardens, um, so that will be meeting here at church at one o'clock and uh, moving on from there. Empty Nesters Bible Study excuse me, we'll resume on September 1st, Thursdays at 10 a.m. at Ruth Lyming's house. If you have questions, contact Sharon Ponshot. but she does need to know if you'd like to join so we can get you a free book by August 21st. Breakfast is better when we eat together, so that was this morning, um, downstairs in the basement. Um, Breakfast Fellowship is the first Sunday of every month at 9.30. Tithes and offerings can be given in person in the offering box in the back of the sanctuary and can be given online at the website there. It's also on our website um, online, and there's uh, paperwork in the back if you have questions, too. Weekly budget's listed here with ministries you can support through giving. I just want to say real quick, too, last Sunday was so amazing for the backpack event. Um, We had close to, in the end, it will be close to 400 students that registered for backpacks, haircuts, haircuts obviously not all 400 got haircuts, but there was a line. We had um, six or seven hairstylists, two barbers. Um, It really just, everybody just really did an amazing job jumping in and getting everything done. And so I just really appreciate you guys um, working with other churches and praying about the event. And we look forward to next year. I also want to say that we received a check today for $7,200 from um, Tracy's Bar and Grill from Loveland, which is, Debbie's daughter's business. Um, They did a golf outing last Saturday. Was it last Saturday? (laughs) I believe it was last Saturday. Um, And so all the proceeds from the golf outing came to the pantry. And so we just are really appreciative for that. So $7,200. Thank you.
0: All righty. Let's jump right in today. Uh, We're going to continue our series in Colossians. Colossians, so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, it's Paul's letter to the saints in Colossae. This is a letter that's really not just only to the saints of Colossae, but to the saints of all time, that includes you and me, so we should sit up and pay attention when we hear what Paul says in this letter. So let's turn together our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 4 through 6, Colossians 1, 4 through 6, and when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is Truly Understanding God's Grace. Truly understanding God's grace. In Colossians 1, 4 through 6, the scriptures say, We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You may be seated. Do we truly understand God's grace? Now, we hear so much talk about grace in the church. We hear that we're saved by grace. We hear that God's grace is enough. And we've all heard what is likely the most famous Christian song of all time, if not the most famous song of all time, Amazing Grace. But do we truly understand God's grace? The talking and singing about God's grace are one thing, understanding and living by God's grace is another. So today I want to talk about truly understanding God's grace and the positive impact that will have on our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, we thank you for your glorious grace. And as we study this subject and study what grace is, if we have any false ideas about grace, please blot those from our minds and help us to truly understand and live by the grace that saves us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul wrote this letter to people who had heard the true message of the gospel. They believed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the King of God's kingdom. They received Christ Jesus as their Lord. And they were living disciplined, obedient, godly lives through the power of God. The gospel was bearing fruit among them and growing. But they were in danger of abandoning the true gospel and the true grace of God for something new. So to help them avoid this, Paul reminds the church that they've already heard the true message of the gospel. And in Colossians one six, Paul draws their attention to the universal nature of the gospel. He says, the true gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. And in Colossians 1.23, Paul says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in the faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So Paul wrote this letter around 62 AD. So about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the true gospel was already well established. And the gospel had already spread throughout the whole world. What is the gospel that Paul's talking about? Well, the gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God has broken into the world, and Jesus Christ is the king of that kingdom. And by obeying King Jesus, by turning away from evil behavior and turning toward God, people are brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light in Christ's church. In the church, we're united with Christ and we share in his divine nature through our union with him. And if we faithfully follow Jesus until the end, well, then one day we'll share in Christ's glory. And that's the hope held out for us in the gospel, the hope that is stored up for us in heaven. Now, both Colossians 1, and 2, 7, Paul calls the gospel of the kingdom, the faith, the faith. And in Jude 3, Jude calls the gospel, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This word delivered is important. It means something that was handed down from one person to another. Both Paul and Jude are talking about the traditions of the apostolic faith. These traditions were handed down by Christ to his apostles. And then Christ's apostles handed down the faith to faithful people in the church who could teach the faith to others. In Colossians 1 7, Paul reminds the Colossians one of these faithful people taught them the gospel. Paul says, You learned the gospel from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. So in all this, what Paul's talking about, he's assuring the saints at Colossae that the gospel they heard, <clears throat> excuse me, that they had already heard from Epaphras is the true gospel. It's the universal gospel that's been preached everywhere. It's the faith that's been believed always, everywhere, and by all. The faith that was handed down from the beginning. And Paul emphasizes all this because false teachers were introducing new teachings and new practices into the church their teachings were not in line with the apostolic faith. So through this letter, Paul's purpose is to encourage God's people to continue in the true faith just as it had been handed down to them. And now, more than ever, God's people need to hear God's message to us in this letter. Because false teachings that are not in line with the apostolic faith are widespread in the so-called church world. We now live in the time Paul warned Timothy about in 2 Timothy uh, chapter chapter 4. So after commanding Timothy to be sure he preached the word, to preach the true message of the true gospel, Paul says this. He says, For the time will come when people will not, not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth. And turn aside to myths. So The scriptures are being misused and abused by false teachers in our day like never before. And I think YouTube has made this even worse. Anybody who wants to can get on YouTube and pretend to be an expert and then people just gobble it up for some reason. But the gospel and the grace of God have been changed into a license for immorality. The people don't want to hear the truth. Instead, they pile up many teachers for themselves to say what their itching ears want to hear. Teachers who interpret the scriptures to fit the fads and the fancies of a godless culture. And those who teach a false gospel and a false grace message are often hailed as heroes in the modern church. But These people are far from heroes. They're leading multitudes to enter through the broad way that leads to destruction when Jesus said the way to life is narrow and difficult. So we need to remember this truth Just because someone quotes the scriptures or says they're teaching the true gospel or talks about grace, well, that does not mean that they're teaching the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. Did you know that Satan can quote scripture? Well, that's what he did when he tempted Jesus. As Matthew tells us in Matthew 4, 5 through 6, the devil took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So Jesus or Satan here, he quotes the Scriptures. That's not the problem. The problem is that he misapplies the Scripture to fit his own agenda to try to make it seem okay for Jesus to disobey God. And Satan's ministers do the same thing. As Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians eleven twelve 12 through 15, there are people in the church who Want an opportunity to be considered equal with Christ's apostles in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So from the very beginning of the church, false teachers have been claiming to speak on behalf of Christ. And they don't come into the church with horns and hooves and a pitchfork. No, they masquerade. They pretend to be ministers of righteousness. Another uh, thing Jesus said, they are wolves in sheep's clothes. So they talk a lot about righteousness. And like Satan, they quote the scriptures to supposedly support what they teach about righteousness. But they misapply the scriptures. Their teaching about grace and righteousness makes it seem like it's okay for us to disobey God, and we can get away with it, and God just really doesn't care that much because He loves everybody so much, He would never do anything to anybody to hurt anybody. See, they tell people that they can be both righteous and unrighteous at the same time. They tell people that God sees us as righteous even while we live in sin, and they tell people that obedience to Christ's commands is not necessary for salvation. So they pretend to be ministers of righteousness while their teaching leads people to live lawless lives. And these are the people Jesus said he's going to tell to depart from him when he sees them on the day of judgment. They'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this in your name? We knew all this stuff about you. We did all this in your name. He says, depart from me, you who are lawless. See, these false teachers distort the gospel and the grace of God. They twist the scriptures to their own destruction and to the destruction of those who hear them. So to avoid being deceived by Satan's ministers, we need to be sure that we truly understand God's grace. And to help us do that, let's look now at two truths we got to understand about God's grace if the gospel is going to continue to bear fruit and grow among us as it did in the early church. So the first truth we've got to understand about grace is God's grace is God's power at work in God's people. I talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago. I said we need to start to see God's grace as God's power. Grace is God's uh, incomparably great divine energy at work in God's people. God's grace empowers God's people to serve as God wants us to serve. And to be holy as God is holy as we share in in the divine nature in Christ. It's God's grace that Paul has in mind in Colossians 129 when he says... I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. See, Paul strenuously fought for the saints, but he did not fight in his own strength. He fought with the divine energy that Christ powerfully worked in him. That's grace. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 3, 7. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So it was the gift of God's grace through the working of God's power that enabled Paul to be a minister of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So Paul was able to work hard for the kingdom of God because God's energizing grace was at work in Him, and in First Peter four ten, Peter says this about grace. He says, "Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms." So, God's gifts are one way that God's grace is distributed to God's people in various forms. God gives us His grace so that we'll have divine power to serve one another. And the same grace that energizes and empowers God's people to minister to and serve others for Christ, well, that same grace energizes and empowers God's people to live the holy lives that God has created us to live in Christ. In Colossians 1.9, Paul says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And in Colossians 1, 10 through 11, Paul tells them why he prays this. Listen to this. He says, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. So as God's people come to truly understand the grace of God and God's will for us, But we're strengthened with all power, all of God's power, by the glorious might the all-powerful God gives us through his glorious grace. So through God's strength, we're able to live a life that's worthy of the Lord, and we're able to please him in every way. Listen to this again. In every way, we're able to please God as we become more and more like the Lord Jesus. So God's grace is God's power at work in God's people. Grace empowers us to serve others and live lives that are worthy of the Lord, and please him in every way. So that's the first truth we need, we need to understand about grace. But unless we understand a second truth about God's grace, well, the power of God's grace will never be effective in our lives. So we've also got to understand God's grace. Require, we I can't say requires requires cooperation from God's people. Now we are saved by God's grace. God's grace is enough, and God's grace is amazing. But unless we respond to that grace and learn to live in God's grace, well, His grace does us absolutely no good at all. You know, grace is like the vehicles that brought us here today. Our vehicles have all the power that we need to take us to where we want to go. But unless we get in the vehicle, turn the vehicle on, put it in drive, press the gas and steer it, well, the power of that vehicle is not effective in our lives. If we get in the car and we throw the keys on the seat and just sit there, and wait for the car to go, it's not going to get us very far, The power of that vehicle will never be effective for us. What that vehicle is designed for isn't doing us any good. And it's the same with God's grace. See, all the power we need is available to live the Christian life through God's grace. But too many of us climb into the car of Christianity, throw the keys on the seat, and we wait for God to do Everything people even tell us that. Let go and let God. Please stop saying that. That's not true. Don't let go and let God. Hold on and let God. How about that? <laughs> See, God tells us we must cooperate with Him for the power of God's grace to be effective in our lives. We've got to work out what God works within us. And if we don't work it out, then it's never going to work in our lives. It's not going to work. As Paul says in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So the saints in Philippi had always obeyed God, and they needed to continue to obey God, not in their own strength, but through, the, through God's grace that was powerfully at work within them. It was God who gave them both the will and the ability to do his will. But God does not force them to do his will. They had to cooperate with God by working out what God's grace was working within them. And it's the same for all of us. Through his grace, God gives us everything we need to live a godly life in Christ. It's God's power that moves us and strengthens us to fulfill God's purpose for us. To do the good works that he created us to do in Christ. God's power is available to each and every one of us. But we've got to learn to live in that power. We've got to learn to put the keys in the, in the ignition and start the car, push the gas and go, put it in drive, push the gas and go. And Paul dives deeper into this aspect of God's grace in Titus 2.11. And if there was only, if these were the only verses you were ever to memorize in your Bible, these are the ones you need to get because it tells us what grace is and how grace works in our lives. Titus 2.11, Paul says this, "'The grace of God has appeared at all for salvation.'" To all people, So through God's grace God is given, that God has given to us in Christ, God offers salvation to all people, every person in the world. It's not limited. It's only limited to those who actually get into Christ, right? Salvation is in Christ. It's not limited as far as like you're chosen and I'm not chosen, all these things. God, whosoever will, is what the Scriptures say, can respond to the gospel, learn to live by God's grace through faith, and be saved. And Paul goes on to explain how God's grace saves us. And we're going to see that salvation is not us being pulled passively along, kicking and screaming as God makes us do His will. That's not what it is. God does not force us to live to please Him. Instead, God's grace teaches us to do at least two things. First, God's grace teaches us to leave our lives of sin. Titus 2.12, Paul says, Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Does everybody say no See, when we truly understand the power of God in us through His grace, we know that we have all the power we need to say no to any and all sin. There's no sin that we don't have the power to say no to. We have the power to break free from every addiction, power to overcome every temptation. But for a long time, Satan and his ministers have been convincing people that Christians are still slaves to our sins, that we cannot get victory over our vices. That we're powerless to overcome our passions, and that ungodliness and being trampled by temptation are a normal part of the Christian life. Now, it is true that temptation is a normal part of the Christian life. As long as we're on this earth, we'll be tempted. But giving in to those temptations is not a normal part of the Christian life, because God's grace is available to strengthen us to be victorious over every temptation. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And notice Paul says, your temptation is not unique. Your temptations are not unique. My temptations are not unique. How often do we excuse our sins because we claim nobody understands what we're going through? Nobody has ever been tempted like us. Well, we should stop telling ourselves those lies. Because God assures us that he will never allow us to face any temptation that other human beings have not faced. And even better than that, when we're God's children and we're walking in God's grace, well, God assures us he will never face, we will never face any temptation that we cannot bear Because God himself will always provide us a way out of every temptation. And the way out of every temptation is the same for every child of God. The way to live free from the control of sin, the way to live free from all addiction and overcome every temptation is to just say no. I feel like Nancy Reagan up here. Just say no. Some of you aren't old enough to understand what that means, but... So to overcome temptation, we just say no through the power of God's grace. Through God's grace, we have the power to say no to all ungodliness. We have the power to say no to every worldly passion. God's grace teaches people to leave our lives of sin and to go on in the power of God and sin no more. I know people don't like that last thing I said, go and sin no more. But Those are words of Jesus, right? He said, go and sin no more. So if he told somebody to do that, let me ask you a question. Do you think they had the power to do that? Or was he just tricking them? I know you can't really stop it, but I'm telling you to just so you'll feel guilty the rest of your life. Is that... No, go and sin no more because he gives us the power to say no to every sin. And that is great news for anyone who has struggled with any sin. You know, God assures you that you can overcome it by just saying no through the power of God's grace. But the Christian life, the grace-filled life, is not just about leaving one life behind. I think we tend to focus on that a lot. You can't do this, you can't do this, you got to stop doing that. But it's not about just leaving one life behind. It's about coming into a new life, a, a life that we're created to live in Christ, a, Christ of, a, a life of abundant life where we live the life God created us to live. And that brings us to a second and final thing God's grace teaches us, teaches God's people to do. Not only does grace teach us to leave our lives of sin, God's grace teaches us to live our lives as saints. So in the first part of sorry in the second part of Titus 2:12 Paul says, "Grace teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age." So as we cooperate with God and learn to live in the power of God's grace, we will become like God in true righteousness and holiness. And among other things, we'll learn to be self-controlled. God's divine power at work in us will teach us how to control our temper, to control our tongue, to keep the the right finger or the wrong finger from going up. He'll teach us how to do that. Teach us to control our passions, to teach us not to live for our pleasure, but to live for God. So we can learn to be self-controlled in all areas of our lives. And as we learn to live by God's grace, we'll also learn to live upright lives. And what this means is we'll strive with all the energy God gives us to do what we know is right. We'll love God. We'll love our neighbors, ourselves. We'll be careful to maintain good works. We'll strive to treat others how we want them to treat us, to talk to others the way we want them to talk to us. All of that is possible when we learn to live by God's grace. And finally, when we learn to live by God's grace, we'll live godly lives. This means that grace teaches us To practice our faith. Just by learning and living out the beliefs and practices of the Christian faith, the one true faith, will we learn about and worship the one true God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we learn the faith of Christianity, we learn about and gain access to the grace that enables us to live like God. And that's what this whole thing is really all about. God wants us to be like Him, and He made us to be like Him in Christ Christ. So when we get into Christ and we learn to live all these things out, we become more and more like God. We become more and more godly. We learn to say what God would say. We learn to do what God would do. But God's glorious grace working in us will teach us to live like Jesus. We'll think like Jesus. We'll talk like Jesus. We'll act like Jesus. And that's true grace teaching. And listen to this. That's the only kind of grace that brings salvation. That's the kind of grace we learn about in the true gospel. The true gospel tells us God offers us salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just salvation from eternal torment in the age to come. That's all great. It's not just salvation from death in the age to come. That's really fantastic too. But it's salvation from Satan's power in this present age. Salvation from the power of sin in this present age. God's grace teaches us to leave our lives of sin... So we can learn to live like saints through the power of God. See, we have something to offer the world that we haven't been offering them for a long time because we we've, have we've, we've believe in this distorted idea of grace. Grace is God's power. So there's no addict to anything in the world that cannot overcome addiction through the grace of God. That's the gospel. That's, that's the gospel, right? You can overcome it. You can get away from it. You can learn to live like Jesus. You can become who God wants you to be through the power of God's grace. So God's grace teaches us to leave our lives of sin so we can learn to live like saints through the power of God, so that we can learn to do God's will on earth as it is done in heaven. So when Jesus told us to pray that prayer, do you think he really meant that? We pray it. We just prayed it. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that a pipe dream that Jesus is trying to tell us about? No. He wants us to pray for that so it actually becomes true in our lives and the people, in the lives of the people around us. As Paul says in Titus 2.14, Jesus gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. I want you to think about those words. Jesus gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. So whatever sin you can imagine, whatever sin you can name, Jesus gave his life to free you from it, to free me from it. Jesus gave his life to give us the power to leave our lives of sin. Jesus gave his life to make us his very own people. So that means when we get into Christ, we belong to him. I hear people say this all the time too. This is actually a good thing people say. And when when you become a part of the body of Christ, when you become a servant of Jesus, you no longer have any rights. All our rights are given over to the Lord. We freely give our lives to him and we become his servants, his slaves, as the scriptures say. And those who belong to Jesus are a people who are totally committed to doing good deeds. The true gospel teaches us to leave a bad life and to live a good life. The grace of God leads people out of a life of selfishness and sinfulness and into a life of selflessness and sacrificial service through the power of God, a life where we're constantly looking for more and more opportunities to do good deeds for others. And become more godly. Through the power of God's grace, we learn to avoid ungodliness and worldly passions. And we learn to zealously pursue upright and godly lives where doing good becomes our passion. Just like worldly passions once controlled our lives outside of Christ's kingdom, with God's grace filling our lives, we'll have a passion for what is upright, good, and godly. And that's the kind of life we'll live when we truly understand god's grace so let me ask you again do we truly understand god's grace well we'll know we do when god's grace bears fruit in our lives when through god's power we're avoiding sin we're saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions when through god's power we're uh, learning self-control we're learning to live an upright and godly life and we're totally committed to doing good deeds That's the fruit of the true gospel and the true grace of God. That's the fruit it will produce in the lives of all who truly understand God's grace. So like Paul, let's keep asking God to give us wisdom and understanding from the Spirit so that we can truly understand and truly live in the power of God's grace. Let's all stand for prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace, your incomparably great power for us who believe. We ask you now to keep filling us with wisdom and understanding from the Holy Spirit so we can know and experience your power, so we can live lives worthy of you and please you in every way as we're strengthened by the power of your glorious might. We ask you this now and always. In Jesus' name. So they're going to sing uh, one final song. And uh, as they do that, I want to invite you, if you want to pray about anything, you're welcome to come forward. If you are sick in your your body or you want to pray about anything at all, come forward. We'll have people up here to pray with you. Uh, If you just want to pray by yourself, you're welcome to do that as well. If you don't know the Lord, if you don't, if you haven't experienced the grace that I'm talking about, that I've been speaking about today, if you haven't experienced that, then I want to invite you to come forward as well. And we'll tell you how to come into this relationship with the Lord where you're living in the power of God through God's grace. So do those things as they they sing. I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over y'all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name.
1: Oh uh-huh.